0: This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El
1: Dorado Springs. Thank you. That was, that was so powerful. In just a few moments we want to come to the Lord's table and partake of communion. And I would just say for those of you that are watching a live stream, if you want to prepare some elements. And we had some People in different states that did join us and partook communion with us in the early service, we would invite you to do so in just a few moments. Before we uh, do so, we're going to wrap up our series on prayer uh, for the full month of October, and even extending back into the last part of September. Our Sunday morning lessons have been focused on prayer, and and the goal has been to help me. Uh, and and all of us to get beyond the typical bless me prayers and the help me prayers and the lead me prayers and the guide me prayers and the protect us prayers that typically describes the majority of our prayer time and as i've said it's not that those are bad prayers they're not you keep on praying those prayers but don't stop with those prayers so we've been looking at some prayers of jesus and prayers of the apostle paul and just really fast let me review Uh, the prayers that we've studied, one of the prayers that we studied was for us as Christians to become people of spiritual depth. Many of us have made our Christianity all about us. And the result is a shallow Christianity. And when we have a shallow Christianity, we get our feelings hurt, you know, if the church or someone or even if God doesn't do what we think He should do. And then we looked at the six dangerous prayers. Remember, search me, break me, stretch me, use me, lead me, fill me. Following that, we studied one of Paul's prayers that we would be active in sharing our faith. And if if I would ask you, how many of you have shared your faith in the last month or in the last six months or in the last year? Probably we would say, well, I invited somebody to church, but really, have you shared your faith? And then we studied the prayer of Jesus and Paul that we as Christians would be united. United we stand, divided we fall. And then we heard Pastor Richard preach a powerful message on on the phrase, If my people, if my people who are called by my name, remember revival will not come from getting our person or our party in government. Revival comes when the church prays and repents of their sin." And then last week, Pastor Dennis gave, some of us, gave us some very practical tips from the model prayer or what we call the Lord's Prayer. Today for our wrap-up session, I want to talk to you about one other super important aspect of praying, and that is praying bold, desperate, passionate, and persistent prayers. Let's read from Luke chapter 18, verse 1, and I'll be reading from the New Living Translation today. One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to illustrate their need for constant prayer and to show them that they must never give up. So, make sure you catch what Jesus is saying. When you pray, don't ever give up. Verse 2, there was a judge In a certain city, he said, who was a godless man with great contempt for everyone. So note the character of the judge. He was godless. uh, Godly principles, values meant nothing to this judge. Verse 3, a widow of that city came to him repeatedly, appealing for justice against someone who had harmed her. The judge ignored her for a while, but eventually she wore him out. I fear neither God nor man, he said to himself. And check out this next phrase, but this woman is driving me crazy. Anybody ever felt that way about a certain person? Don't raise your hand. We all have. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she's wearing me out with her constant requests. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this evil judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So, Don't you think God will surely give justice to His chosen people who plead with Him day and night? Will He keep putting them off? I I tell you, He will grant justice to them quickly. But when I, the Son of Man, return, how many will I find who have faith? Now, as we look at this parable, we're not told what the injustice was. All the Bible says was someone had harmed this lady. I was thinking about this. I was wondering, you know, maybe someone had borrowed money from her and not paid it back. Maybe someone had slandered her or or her family. Maybe someone had broken into her house and ransacked it. Maybe somebody had hurt one of her children. We, we don't know the details of the injustice, but whatever it was, this lady was upset enough to where repeatedly she would go to the door of this judge and knock and knock and hound and pester him day after day after day. Now, as I pointed out in our scripture reading, this judge was not a deacon in the local church. In fact, there are three things that I noticed I pointed out. The first was that the Bible says he was godless. And then secondly, it said he was evil. And I don't know what's included in being godless and evil, but maybe that means that the verdicts that he rendered were not always fair. Justice might not have always been served. He was godless and evil. But there's a third thing that I noticed, and not to take away our focus from Scripture too much, but this third descriptive phrase about this judge reminded me I, I, I'm really going downhill fast here, but reminded me of a judge on television. Now, now I know some of you watch this judge and really like this judge, and, and I certainly hope she's not watching our live stream today. But this third description reminds me a, a bit of Judge Judy, B- because Scripture says that the judge in our account had great contempt for everyone. Maybe this was Judge Judy's great-great-great-grandpa, I don't know. But anyway, I don't know what all Scripture meant when it said that this judge had great contempt for, towards everyone, but, but I take it that he basically mistrusted everyone and more than likely had become skeptical and cynical of all humanity. Now, let me just call a timeout for a moment and, and talk to those of us who are in any level of authority, and that, I think that includes pretty much everybody here. I think there's a temptation for all of us who are in authority to begin to mistrust and develop a cynicism towards people. And here's the reason. Because when you're in authority, you will invariably see the bad side of people. You know, if you're a business owner, you will eventually be burned by people, unfortunately, even by those who call themselves Christians. You will find that there are those that call themselves Christians and they will not pay their bills. And so you feel betrayed. You begin to wonder, are, are there any good, trustworthy people in the world at all? Or if you're an authority figure in law enforcement, you will come across people, supposedly even good people and godly people, that will be sneaky and they will break the law and lie to you. You know, if you're in a position where you have to make sure that people follow certain rules in the company, you will eventually be shocked as you see bad attitudes and, and often hear bad language. And afterwards you will say, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they said that. And you begin to develop a cynicism. And all I have to even admit is your pastor, I, I fight skepticism. I, I fight cynicism. You, you think you've seen hypocrisy in, in, in church people? Without bragging, I think I've probably, I think I can say that I've probably seen more hypocrisy than you have. And so for those of us who who are in authority because we've seen the bad side of supposedly good people, it's natural for us to develop a mistrust towards all people and it is a constant fight to be able to just convince ourselves, you know what, there are some good people that are not hypocrites. But in our scripture, it sounds like this judge had written everyone off as being good for nothing. Says he had great contempt for everyone. So he he probably was a crusty, crotchety old judge that had developed such a hard outer shell, had lost compassion. And so when this lady started knocking on his door, he didn't care that she had been harmed. All he knew, she was a number one pest. Well, the Bible says that for a while he just flat out ignored her. You know, he he thought, you know what, if I ignore her, maybe she'll back off and leave me alone. I mean, you've had that happen. Uh, I've had that happen to me. People owe you money and you text them and call them, they ignore you. That's what he did. But this judge didn't didn't know that this wouldn't work with this lady. You know, back off was not in her vocabulary she didn't care what this judge thought she had suffered an injustice and she was going to keep bugging the daylights out of this judge until she gained an audience with him well just as she hoped this judge began to be worn down by her continual knocking on his door and maybe every time he sat down to eat she would start knocking or when it was time for him to go to bed there she was again knock 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 and he began to realize that he would have no peace, no family time until he listened to this lady. Now, for, for a moment of application, let me just stop and ask this. And, and think through this. Don't, don't make a joke out of this. Does the judge know about you? And some of you are thinking about a run-in with the law where you got to know the judge. But, but I'm talking about the judge of the universe, God Almighty. Does he know about you? Does he see you as someone that's persistent? Does he see you as someone that's desperate to have an audience with him? Does he see you as someone that's desperate to have your prayers answered? Does he see you as being desperate enough to pray more than casual prayers of bless and protect? Does he see you as being desperate enough to lay aside food for a period of time so you can pray? Does God Almighty, the judge of the universe, see you as being desperate enough to pray through the night? And probably without judging, I think I I know what I would have to say. I'd have to say no, and probably most of you would as well. We might get a little bit emotional at times, have a couple of tears pop out, but more than likely our prayers would not be described as desperate. And so we pray, nothing happens, we're okay with it because we weren't expecting anything to happen anyway. Now, notice that the persistent widow's methodology was unorthodox. In fact, it was probably wrong. She technically should have waited for her day in court. Going to the personal residence of the judge, not just once, but over and over, most definitely crossed the professional line. The judge should have probably filed a restraining order against her. But listen, this parable reveals something so important about the nature of God. And I love this. And as I was thinking of this, I just... I got pretty emotional because it reveals something that you need to hear. It reveals that God doesn't care much about protocol. It reveals that God isn't interested in rituals and traditions. God God isn't interested in doing what we've always done to get what we've always gotten. In fact, sometimes I wonder if all of the procedures and all the bureaucracy and all the traditions that we've brought into Christianity makes God sick to his stomach. And of course, from the perspective of the Pharisees, that was part of the problem with Jesus. I mean, they felt Jesus was out of the box. He was off the wall. He was a maverick. He, he didn't follow the church bylaws. He had no problem breaking long-standing church traditions. You now, one example comes from those who became his disciples. When Jesus went to choose his disciples, who do you think would have been the ones that would have been logical choices? Duh, the religious leaders. Why? Because they were known as the good guys. They kept the letter of the law, they paid their tithe, they never missed church, their background checks would have been squeaky clean, no speeding tickets, no forgot to buckle my seatbelt citations, no forgot to pay my property tax notices, no signs in the yard saying your grass is too tall. From the law's perspective, they were perfect, squeaky clean, model citizens. But did you notice? Jesus didn't choose these squeaky clean model citizens as his disciples. He went for the hated tax collectors. He went for rough and possibly even foul-mouthed fishermen. It's not that he was against the religious leaders or the rich or the powerful or the movers or the shakers. He wasn't. But Christ was trying to make a point that being good on the outside didn't necessarily mean you were good on the inside. And being powerful and influential and rich didn't necessarily give you a spiritual advantage when it came to the kingdom of heaven. Jesus wanted us to see that the gospel was both for the powerful and the weak. It was for the good guys, but thankfully it was for the bad guys. It was for the rich, but it was also for the poor. The gospel was for whosoever will. It was for the lost. It was for the last. And thank God it was for the least. And that was the way that Jesus ministered. He blew people's minds by doing stuff that was non-traditional and even considered inappropriate, such as... Jesus spent time with the poor. That was a no-no for a religious person. He physically touched the despised lepers. That was a no-no. He hung out with immoral people. That was a no-no. Can I say something that may offend you? (laughs) But I believe it's true. And I have no doubt that today Jesus... Would have probably hung out in bars not to take a drink, but rather to give a drink, a drink of living water where they would never ever thirst again. Jesus commended things that we would have condemned. We would have condemned the prostitute that crashed a party to anoint Jesus' feet. Jesus commended her. We would have condemned her. We would have laughed. And hooted and hollered at a vertically challenged tax collector who climbed a tree in his three-piece suit just to get a glimpse of Jesus. But Jesus praised him. And then for the four guys who without permission chopped a hole in someone's roof in order to lower their sick friend into the room, we would have called the cops. Jesus called them heroes. And then in our parable this morning, an act that we would have condemned in the harshest of terms, a crazy lady knocking and knocking at the personal residence of a judge, I mean mean, most of us would have said she should be arrested, but Jesus was impressed and said she should be praised. The common denominator in each of these stories is that people went to desperate measures to get to God, and God honored them for it. And nothing has changed today. God is still honoring spiritual desperados who who crash parties and climb trees. God is still honoring those who defy protocol with bold prayers. God is still honoring those who are more interested in looking for God than looking for gold. And this woman that we would have called crazy is selected as the gold standard when it comes to praying with persistence. And And listen, because this crazy woman never gave up, because she kept on knocking, she was given an audience by this unjust and ungodly and skeptical and cynical judge. Mark Batterson, who is a pastor and author, makes this statement. He says, the viability of our prayers is not contingent on scrabbling the 26 letters of the English alphabet into the right combinations like abracadabra. God already knows the last punctuation mark before we pronounce the first syllable. The viability of our prayers has more to do with intensity than vocabulary. It has more to do with desperation than a beautiful, well-formed prayer. And so I think there are defining moments in life when we need to prove to God that we mean business. And not business as usual. In fact, someone said this it's only when business as usual goes out of business that we're in business when it comes to our Father's business. I think what we have come to label as normal in our prayer life is actually subnormal. So when it comes to our praying, maybe we need a new normal. We hear all about a new normal today. Well, maybe we need a new normal in our prayer lives. From the examples in the Bible, bold prayers are normal. Elijah's bold prayer on Mount Carmel should be the normal. He prayed, and a a three-and-a-half-year drought came to an end. Moses' bold prayers of praying in the wilderness, manna coming down from heaven, quail flying in, water coming out of a rock. Maybe that should be the normal. Paul's bold prayers in the New Testament where, where demons were cast out, people were healed. Maybe that is the normal. Is the first century B.C. and a devastating drought threatened to destroy the generation right before Jesus was born. The last of the Jewish prophets had died off nearly four centuries earlier. Miracles were such a distant memory. They almost seemed like fairy tales. It seemed that God was no longer speaking to His people. There had been 400 years of silence. But there was one man named Honey. Honey was referred to in the Mishnah. The Mishnah is a, is a Jewish oral version of the Torah, the law. And, and, and just so you know, the um, you know, the Mishnah is not considered to be inspired by by God. It isn't even really completely trustworthy within Orthodox Jewish teaching. So Honi's story may be true, it may be partially true, or it could just be folklore that was passed down without any truth to it. But anyway, during this period of time. There was a terrible drought in the land of Israel. It was already past the particular month that signaled the end of the rainy season, but no significant rains had fallen. Being an agricultural society, the country was in trouble. Honey, who could be described as uh, kind of a, an eccentric sage and strange, he lived outside the walls of Jerusalem, but Honey believed in prayer. And even if the people could no longer hear God speaking to them, he still believed that God could hear them speaking to him. And so Honey prepared himself to pray for rain. He took a staff, a six foot staff, and put one end in the ground and began to turn a circle like a math compass. With a lot of eyes on him, his circular movement was rhythmical, methodical. Dragging that staff, he reached 90 degrees. He kept on turning 180, kept on turning 270 degrees, and then he had gone 360 degrees. His six-foot staff had drawn a complete circle in the dirt. He never looked up. As the crowd looked on, after what seemed like hours, but in reality, had been less than a minute, Honey stood inside the circle he had drawn. And with all eyes on him, he dropped to his knees and raised his hands to heaven. With the authority of the prophet Elijah who called down fire from heaven, Honi began to call for rain. And he prayed, Lord of the universe, I will not move from this circle until you've shown mercy upon your children. The words of his prayer sent a shudder down the spine of that great crowd that was looking on that day. and, And it wasn't just the volume of his voice that got them. It was the authority of his tone. It was as if his prayer that day didn't originate from his vocal cords rather like water from an artesian well the words flowed from the depth of his soul and his prayer unlike any prayer the people had ever heard it was resolute yet humble confident yet meek expectant yet unassuming desperate yet without panic And then it happened As his prayer ascended to the heavens, raindrops began to descend to the earth. An audible gasp swept across thousands of people who had encircled Honi, and every head turned heavenward as the raindrops began to parachute from the sky. But Honi's head remained bowed. The people rejoiced over each drop, but as Mark Batterson tells the account, Honi was not satisfied with this sprinkle, and still kneeling within this circle. Honey lifted his voice over the sounds of the celebration with authority. Not for such rain have I prayed, but for rain that will fill cisterns and pits and caverns. Which at that time it said that that sprinkle turned into such a torrential downpour that eyewitnesses said no raindrop was smaller than an egg in size. It rained so heavily and so steadily that the people fled to the high ground there in Jerusalem of the Temple Mount. Have you been in Israel? The Temple Mount is the high ground. And they fled there to escape the flash floods. But Honey still wasn't finished. He stayed inside his circle. And once more, he refined his bold request. And not for such rain have I prayed, but for the rain of thy favor, blessing and graciousness. And then, like a well-proportioned shower on a hot and humid August afternoon it began to rain calmly and peacefully. Each raindrop was a tangible token of God's grace. And the drops didn't just soak the skin, they soaked the soil. But more than that, they soaked their spirits with faith. It would be forever remembered as the day thunderclaps applauded the Almighty. It would be remembered as the day that puddle jumping became an act of praise. It was difficult to have faith the day before it rained, but the day after it rained, it was impossible not to have faith. Honey was celebrated like a hometown hero by the people whose lives he had saved, but some within the Sanhedrin called the circle maker into question. A faction believed that drawing a circle and demanding rain dishonored God, and I, I just wonder if it might have been those same members of the Sanhedrin who a generation later would criticize Jesus for healing a man's withered hand on the Sabbath or would criticize Jesus' disciples for picking and snacking on some grain again on the Sabbath. They were hungry as they walked across the countryside. The prayer that saved a generation was deemed as one of the most significant prayers in the history of Israel. And again, this story is not based on Scripture. It could be true, could be partially true, might not be true at all. We don't know. But here's what we do know. We know that the earth has circled the sun more than 2,000 times since the day that Honey allegedly drew his circle in the sand. But bigger than that, we also know that as those 2,000 years have gone by, God is still looking for people who will pray bold and persistent prayers. Because bold prayers honor God, and God honors bold prayers. And I wonder if God is offended by anything less. I mean, if our prayers aren't impossible to us, I wonder if they're insulting to God. Why? Because they don't require divine intervention. But ask God to part the Red Sea or make the sun stand still or float an iron axe head. And God seems to be moved to omnipotent action. That's who He is. That's what He does. You know, the greatest moments in life are the miraculous moments when human impotence and divine omnipotence intersect. And they intersect when we draw a circle around the impossible situations in our lives and invite God to intervene. So understand this morning, I'm not advocating weirdness. I'm not advocating that we get into public stunts for attention. But again, I want to drive home the fact that I pray and probably most of us pray a little quick, bless God and bless my family and bless me and bless a couple of sick people prayers. And we feel good about it because that way we can tell them on Sunday, well, I'm praying for you and... but. I wonder, is that what God really had in mind? When it comes to praying, I believe God had in mind the type of desperation that this lady had. You know, I promise you, I don't say that very much because I'm very careful, but I promise you, God wants to do way more through prayer than we allow Him to. So as we wrap up our series, let's not worry so much about praying the perfect prayer. Let's be more like this lady and not worry about protocol, not worry about traditions, not worry about procedures. Let's be bold and desperate and persistent. Let's pray together, Father. I thank you for this lesson that you put in your Word. God, forgive us for our casual prayers. Forgive us for our shallow prayers. God, forgive us for those times that we just prayed a quick prayer on the go. And I know the Bible says pray without ceasing, so I believe that we need to be in a spirit of prayer all the time. But God, I believe from this example, I think what some of us may be missing from our prayer would be desperation and boldness, audacity. And so Father, I just pray that You would help us as we Enter this 40-day period starting next Sunday and again still camp out on prayer. God, that we would pray big prayers and bold prayers and persistent prayers. God, you would begin to do something that's beyond us. Lord, do something beyond the Church of God holiness. Be do something beyond Joe Trussell. Do something beyond Jim Purdle. Do something beyond the human element. And God, I pray that you would cause us to see the heavens open, let the rains come down, Lord, that there would be, Lord, that there would be just an incredible move of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for that here in this church and in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to prepare our hearts for communion with a very graphic but to me, it's a powerful scene. I think the scene would look quite ominous to modern day observers. Five bloody animal carcasses on the ground. Three of them split in half with the halves separated short distance from each other. But in Abraham's time, it would have not been so menacing. The arrangement of divided animal carcasses would have been instantly recognized as a setup for a blood covenant. When God called Abraham out of his hometown and away from all things familiar, he made a covenant with him. And in Genesis chapter 15, it talks about this, but for this covenant, he asked Abraham to find five animals. He was to find a heifer, a ram, a goat, a dove, and a pigeon. And then he was given instructions to cut them in half, except for the two birds, cut them in half, laid them far enough apart to where they could walk right in the middle. And basically it was signified that if people involved in this covenant ever broke the covenant, then what had been done to these animals could be done to them. Well, not only was was there the Abrahamic covenant, but there was also the Mosaic covenant. And and it tried to prepare the way for the concept that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness for the sins of people. And, and of course, today we understand that these covenants from Abraham, from Moses, they were copies. They were shadows of a better, a better covenant to come. The, the lives of animals could never appease, could never remove sin The the blood of bulls and and goats was a temporary appeasement until the final ultimate blood covenant was made by Jesus Christ himself. The new covenant was in his blood. Mm -hmm. The, The shadows became realities in Christ who fulfilled all the Old Testament blood covenants with his own blood. And so today, as we come to the table, we come not under the Abrahamic covenant, we come not under the Mosaic covenant or any other covenants that were established in the Old Testament, but we come under the New Covenant where Jesus Christ shed His blood for you and me. And as we remember, as we take the bread, remember it represents the body of Jesus broken for you. And for me, the juice represents the blood that atones for our sins and allows us to be forgiven and be in a right relationship with Jesus. Now, in just a moment, we're going to come to the table. Let me give you just a a, a couple of instructions. Uh, First of all, I know with our situation today in the middle of a pandemic, If there are those of you that feel uncomfortable coming, we understand. There's no pressure. You will not be judged. If you feel like it's best for you not to come, we will not judge you. We want you to do what you feel comfortable with. But if you would like to come and partake, uh, if you've given your heart to Jesus Christ, if um, you're following Him, whether you're new in this church, whether you're a child, We would welcome you to come, and remember, just down the hallway, our children are also going to be partaking of the Lord's Supper probably about now. So, um, I want to pray, and then we'll proceed. Lord, again, thank you. Thank you that we don't have to rely on the blood of bulls and goats and animals and covenants that, you know for us just don't make a lot of sense but Lord we can come to you Lord the new covenant Jesus Christ who gave his life on Calvary so that we could have a new life in Christ Jesus Lord take the bread Father I ask that we would be reminded of the fact that this is your body that was broken. As we partake of the juice, Lord, that we would be reminded it's through the blood of Jesus that there's forgiveness of sins. Lord, just flood our hearts with Your presence. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand and just as you receive the elements, if you would hold the elements and then after everybody has been served, I will give you the signal. We'll all partake together. Three different tables here. Just come whenever you're ready. You may partake. Just come on.
0: When I survey the wondrous cross, content oh.
1: come to you. Um, Just in this moment, we pray that you would search our hearts. We don't want to partake in a worthy that's, in a manner that's unworthy. God, so if there's been sin in our lives, we ask that you would forgive that sin, and then, Lord, help us to turn around, and Father, that we would flee that sin with your help. Lord, bless the bread Lord, let us just have uh, maybe a glimpse of what it represents, the body of Jesus there on the cross. Bless the juice. Give us a glimpse of maybe the blood flowing and the significance, eternal significance that it had. So God, uh, as we pray the blessing on these elements, as we partake, God, we remember, we thank you for the sacrifice that you've made for us. Jesus' name. Amen. As you take, as you have the bread in your hand, would you take this remembering this is the body of Jesus that was broken for us. You may partake together. The juice that you have represents the blood, the blood of Jesus. As you remember that, you may now partake together. Thank you again, Jesus. You've been here. We worship you, we celebrate you. Go with us. Let us live our lives carefully and prayerfully. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen and amen. amen. Thank you for coming. You're dismissed. We'll see you this afternoon.
0: You've been listening to the Sunday Morning Message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.